Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. where week by week we go film by film through the career of Nicolas Cage to find out if he is the king of the cinematic jungle or if he is at the bottom of the food chain. Each week I get a guest on and ask them, are they a Nicolas Cage fan? What was their first and which is their favourite Nicolas Cage film? This week I'm joined by comic book writer, musician and podcaster Mike West to discuss the 2019 film Primal. We will be speaking about this film in spoilerific detail. We will tell you blow by blow, punch by punch, everything that happens in this film. So if you don't want to know anything, if you want to go into the film blind, do stop the podcast now, watch the film and then come back. As always, you can find a handy document in the show notes that will tell you if and where the film is streaming in the UK or the US. If you fancy a little bit extra of this chat as well, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash caged in pod where you can get free extra bonus questions that I asked Mike. So what is his worst Nicolas Cage film? What is the best Nicolas Cage performance in a film? And which living or dead director would he like to see Cage work with? As well as that, you also don't get any of this. You don't get the intros and outros because what the intros mean kind of setting up thing you fuck it you know you know what you know what the you know what the drill is all this bit is here for the for the new listeners the people who go well what's this all about then and then they listen to the intro get a gist of what's going on but the patron you're gonna you're gonna know that so yeah head on over there if you want to get all of that extra stuff so there's only one thing left to do and that's to get raging with cage <laughs> Whoa, 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 whoa. One last thing before we start the episode. You can now head on over to cagedinpodcast.limitedrun.com to pre-order your very own and the first ever Caged In t-shirt titled Not The Bees. 
If you don't know the reference, then it might not be the t-shirt for you. But it is an amazingly designed t-shirt by Tim Sinclair, celebrating Nicolas Cage and celebrating the 2006 Wicker Man film. And it's it's, it's, it's a fucking great-looking t-shirt. It's going to come on a, a natural-coloured t-shirt with a burnt orange design and is going to look amazing. So pre-order link is up now. Before pause the podcast right now and order yourself one immediately when a hunter loads his rare jaguar and a menagerie of other animals onto a boat heading from brazil to mexico the last thing you want is a madman thrown into the mix nick cage stars as frank walsh part hunter part foul-mouthed drunk in nicholas powell's 2019 action thriller primal to find out if this film is a rare breed or a rabid wild beast is comic book creator musician and podcaster mike west how are you mike not too bad man thanks so much for having me on it's my absolute pleasure obviously <laughs> i um i got into the virtual van with virtual you van, yeah. <laughs> earlier this year or some point last year by the time this one comes out uh yeah so it's um you when we spoke then you told me you're a you're a Nick Cage fan, and I think that's how we got we got chatting in the first place. So, yeah, that was how you popped up on my Twitter. I think it was <laughs> because there's Rachel, who's like the tiny noggin comic creator. I've met her at a few cons and stuff, so it's kind of like me and my mate John, who you've had on, go to like comic cons, and then we've seen tiny noggin stuff because she brought the Cage zine. So I think she was on an episode and she was sharing some stuff. So that's how you came onto my radar, and then I was like, if some dude's talk, doing a podcast about Nicolas Cage. I have to talk to him. and obviously I've got a podcast so I wanted you on to talk about podcasting in a more general sense outside yeah. of Nick Cage but it was still a Nick Cage heavy conversation I think well, that that is that tends to be my my life a lot of the time uh when I'm asked on other podcasts they're like do you want to come talk about this Nick Cage film and I'm like I can talk about I do watch other films I do like I do I do like films <laughs> by other people but um I'm not sure when it will go out. I was recently on a podcast called uh, Pizza Your Mind mm. that do uh, this amazing like concept where they ask like, what is your base? So what is something that is always there and like never going to shift in your life? And it's like, uh, what is your crust? So something that like it's taken a while for you to ch- uh, chew over, but you've like you've got you've got to it. Do you know what I mean? It's it's, it's something it's something that you either like or you're still not sure about, and then it's like. A couple of other questions, but like, I that ended sounds, up. Yeah, it's a, it's a great. That's concept. such a deep thing. Like, I talk to musicians in a van, and you talk about like Nick Cage, and they're trying to break down the existential dilemmas of the world. But though, like, it, it's it's in whatever it wants to be. Yeah. So like, I kind of w- went on there and talked about um, just like a thing that will always be there for me is collecting things, and I won't talk mm. about it too much on here because obviously, uh, listen, yeah, listen to P- Pizza Your Mind, and. I ended up talking about like something that I had to ch- like chew over, and I, I probably am a fan of. I ended up talking about Nick Cage on that, so it's like even if I try and like get away from it, like Nick Cage always uh, seems to just come yeah. back. Do you reckon with like this podcast and obviously like Twitter and everything, is there ever a day where you go without thinking or speaking about Nick Cage, or is it like not twenty four seven, but it's a daily occurrence? Uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't think there is. Like I, 
I can't remember like since mate since April since I brought the podcast yeah since I brought the podcast back I don't think there's been a single day possibly <laughs> where I haven't typed his name <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's a, it's a pretty it's a pretty I'm a I don't know, I'm living a wild life uh, but Are you ever gonna get him a Nick Cage tattoo I thought about it in the past. Well, I think I'll get something to commemorate like this podcast in some form. Or, yeah, I've thought about getting some like um, plastic vampire teeth. That's like a real like, do you know what I mean? Just a low key. um, Yeah, but I might get those and then something that is a bit more brazen, like a a, a full Conair back piece or something. (laughs) Well... Um, yeah, uh, speaking of Connor, obviously we're, um, we're here to find out, firstly, are you a Nick Cage fan? Uh, well, I, I, say, I say that, we, I, we already know that, don't we, Mike? Yeah, yeah, diehard Nick Cage fan. So where, where did the kind of love and the kind of fandom for you start? Like, like I think it's, you know, when I was a kid, Channel 5 was still a thing. And Channel 5's action films were the best things on TV, in my opinion. You had, like, Sylvester Sloan's Demolition Man. You had Predator. You had all the Jean-Claude Van Damme films. And every now and then, they'd throw in, like, Snake Eyes and Con Air and Face Off and The Rock. So growing up on, like, that Channel 5, like, action movie, I think it was, like, on a Friday or a Saturday, that was when I was first, like, exposed to, like, a Nick Cage film. And then in high school, it was, you take more notice of, who's in what films it's not just this film or that film you pay attention to the cast and the director and things and it was you're looking at nick cage's body of work which is a really diverse body of work to enjoy and dive into well yeah it's definitely like within one year you can get like a real a real mixed bag of quality of like Mm. genres tones of films like uh I don't know. We look at we take 2019 for a perfect example, right? So it's 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 a heavy year for Cage, a man who seems like he's not stopping. So that's when the film we're going to be talking about today uh, came out. Uh, Primal came out, but also you had Grand Isle, Kill Chain, Running with the Devil, A Score to Settle, and Color Out of Space. So what's that? That's a, a two. That's a six six film year for Nick Cage. Yeah. So like, and it's like, I can tell you for sure, there is definitely some varying quality in that <laughs> in that bunch. Yeah, well, the good thing about Primal was I haven't seen a score to settle and the trailer for that was on the DVD for Primal. So I was like, hold the fucking phone, where's this DVD? <laughs> and the thing that I'm kind of lamenting at the moment is the Asda by me is getting re, like, redone and restored or whatever so they're all under work so the dvd section's only about like 10 titles so there's no cage films at the moment so i'm waiting for it to come back to its full glory well a score to settle i think i picked it up uh on dvd from a cx or ebay and it cost me no more than two pounds i think (laughs) and this is a film that came out last year the case has to be about that much. Like, to <laughs> physically produce the seat, like, because I've made, like, vinyl and CDs and shit. Like, the cost of getting something made is more than that. 
Yeah, well, it's, it's it's obviously like just the disposable culture we live in. Yeah. And like, obviously, it's gonna a lot of these are probably made on like uh, single layer like DVD. Do you know what I mean? Like the kind yeah. of that's why they they're never they're the boat they're boasting of special features on a lot of these releases is like comes with an interactive menu and it's like that's not a special <laughs> feature, guys. Yeah, and it's like has the trailer on it, and you're like, thanks. Yeah, like. Yeah, it's, it's 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 very bizarre. I kind of forgot for so many years. I got into like kind of like everyone else got into streaming so much, and obviously like doing this podcast over the last yeah like since I've come back, um, it's obviously watching a lot of like DVDs and stuff like that. And I forgot mm-hmm. that D like I'm not sure if it's like these specific genre of DVDs, like the the Nick Cage like action revenge thrillers and stuff like that, but they all have trailers for other films so like I've, I've probably got the same copy of primal as you so it's a score to settle i think there's like john wick three yeah. and yeah, pa- like something else on there and i was like fucking out and it gets me really nostalgic for like vhs tapes and stuff like that yeah and to, like i try not to watch trailers as much because they always put so much like spoiler things in now like trailers now or a lost art form it's just how much of the film can we fit into three minutes so you get the entire plot but like actually like good trailers you're like oh i really want to see that i remember like knives out was coming out and i saw about five trailers in the cinema for it and for five of those trailers they didn't have the release date on it and i was like when the fuck is this film coming out <laughs> and i was like i was actually excited for trailers to be like when is this coming out yeah yeah, yeah. um <laughs> so Obviously, yeah, you said like Channel 5 was where you like kind of dipped your toe and started to see some Cage. But can you pinpoint which was your specific first Nick Cage film you saw? See, I think it was the vaguest memory I have is in Snake Eyes. He argues with someone near a boxing ring, doesn't he? Yeah, that's like a a big pivotal like thing. Yeah, I remember that is probably my earliest cage memory on channel five i remember him arguing at the side of the boxing ring where it's like down the tunnel yeah yeah it'll be it'll like, it's like him and gary sinise right yeah so that snake eyes is probably the first cage film i ever watched and that is like the haziest memory i have of cage and then i think it was face off after that but snake eyes was the first one well what a, what a one-two punch like just in yeah. the fact to like yeah snake eyes it's cage teaming up with brian de palma and of mm. course you're going to be like interested in that he's wearing like these garish suits we've kind of got that like it, you can see the wild man that's in him he's playing like a rogue cop and stuff like that like yeah, that, i really gonna, like yeah i really be, need to rewatch that yeah 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 it's, it's it's an interesting one there's like a, a kind of mythological like uh uh, alternate ending that I think you can only really see well, the, the last place I, I managed to see it was on the De Palma documentary because mm. it's like a, a section where they talk about that and the, it was supposed to have this like biblical style ending where it's like uh, a bit like a, a but the thing is it's like it literally was an act of God so it's like a real uh, deus ex machina moment mm. where it's all of a sudden like a flood is coming or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah. So like, uh, but I, that stuff always fascinates me of these like kind of alternate endings and like what could have been. Um, But yeah, what a one, two punch of first films. 
Yeah, I think I, I was too young to understand really what the fuck was happening mm-hmm. throughout it all. I must have watched it when I was like seven or eight. So I remember I watched Predator way too young. I mm-hmm. saw it must have been around that same time. I was like, I have no idea what this is, but it's fun. And that's, I think a lot of people give Cage shit, but a lot of his films are just fun. And Primal is a prime example of just a fun action film. Definitely. So um, would like... Would those have both been on TV, those like first watches for you or like Yeah, it would have been on like the TV. And then I remember um I can't remember what the first DVD of Cages I bought was, but I remember I was listening to the podcast with John um the other day and he was talking about how he remembers watching Lord of War. And that was in my house when he slept over at mine in a high school. <laughs> so I definitely remember getting Lord of War and we got it out of the blockbuster bargain bin amazing because i knew i had mates coming around so we just went to blockbuster found like a load of cheap dvds and brought them back and obviously lord of war is a great title the cover's brilliant mm-hmm. and i was like fuck it let's give it a go it's it's it, and, and it's it's a film that like has got some fantastic like moments in it for me it's been a while since it, mm-hmm. but like there's there's kind of that opening really sticks in my mind all the time like with all the bullets and stuff like mm-hmm. that and the, there's that scene, I think, midway through with the plane being deconstructed in, like, uh, a time-lapse and stuff like that. And it's like, well, that, that like, that's the thing. Like, I haven't seen that film maybe two years and that, mm. that stuff sticks. Yeah, it's, it's a great... It's and, and a lot of people, like, when I kind of ask the question online, like, what's people's favourite, that one crops up quite a bit. Yeah, it's got a good following. And, like, Jared Leto's in it. He gave a solid performance. And the scene where they, like, they repaint the boat before the navy or whatever common stuff it's a really solid like great film it it really like makes me want to see though a uh nick cage and ethan hawk like team up movie like those two like who's getting considerable amount of screen time together mm. like what well, especially like i don't know with uh one of these like like a safety brothers and like those mm. two in a film like could be like Real interesting because, like, I not that they look like they could, like, really like they could be related, but like mm. in in movie land, you could yeah. pass off Cage and Ethan Hawke being like brothers or something like that. <laughs> Definitely, yeah, yeah, compadres. <laughs> so amazing. Um, what is your favorite Nick Cage movie ever? Favorite Nick Cage film ever? I've been thinking about this. <laughs> and like I'll bring up John O'Fair a bit because it's who I've talked to about Cage the most and he has like his three picks and um, I've got something similar but I still think it's you know Gone in 60 Seconds is a really good Nick Cage film I think that might be my favourite <laughs> I remember watching that younger and that's the kind of he's not restrained he's got the freakouts he's got like that but there's such a good ensemble cast I've like play with him Mm-hmm. and bounce off them and that's something that like a lot of films either lack or they get like they don't have that ensemble cast to have fun with him as well well yeah it's that kind of they they created that like fast and furious dynamic like that they didn't really quite understand until a few a few movies mm. in anyway do you know what I mean like it was it wasn't until like maybe four or five where they kind of went oh no this isn't just like Vin Diesel and paul walker this is like the whole gang and yeah. that, that film that film kind of got it off the bat and it kind of felt like they had a bit of something for everyone do you know what i mean like it's like if you if, if you fancy uh angelina jolie you got that and also if you fancy predator 
you've also got that <laughs> with Angelina Jolie with that hair, like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's the yeah, it's got to be gone in sixty seconds, or I'm all, I am a sucker for National Treasure. Okay, yeah, I I, t- I totally under- I totally I, I totally get that. They're like uh, uh, films for me that uh, I always say like rainy Sunday films. Uh, mm. Especially now, like with Disney Plus and stuff, that like, you can just stick them on. But it yeah. was the type of thing that, like, if it's if it's showing on TV and like I stumble across it, it's like yeah. I'm not I'm not skipping past. Like I've I've got to watch it, and I've I I get lost in that kind of action adventure stuff anyway. Like yeah, and once I was like five feet away from Sean Bean, and I didn't <laughs> say anything to him, and I still, whenever I think of National Treasure, I, I kick myself for not actually like going up and saying hi to him. Because well, he's he's like a, re- a a real villain in that as well, yeah. isn't he? Like that's what's good to see. It's like it's a it's a kids it's a primor- predominantly a kids film, but like yeah, it's got like a a real baddie in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so amazing. That's uh, I'm going to have to pick one. I'm afraid though. Or do you? Do, would you like to pick one of those as a stand? I'm I'm going to go Gone in sixty seconds because it's forever changed how I think of the word, like name Eleanor as well. So there's, I, I see, I always quote Gone in 60 Seconds more. And if I'm waiting for someone to like move, I start doing the hand thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's let's go. <laughs> amazing, amazing. 60 that, seconds. That's going in the uh, Hall of Fame of uh, people's people's picks for this podcast. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll take that. And um, if I may be wrong here, I've been wrong in the past with this, but that may be the first shout out for gone in 60 seconds as a favorite and something that i find really yeah yeah like not not that it's a bad film yeah but, but it but more than anything it talks to the fact that cage is so diverse and he kind of has something for everyone which i think is glorious yeah i think it's probably it's because he's memphis in 60 seconds isn't he i think that's one of my favorite cage character names as well memphis range yeah he's, yeah. he's got he's, he's got some solid like especially around that era like what is it Stanley Goodspeed, um, yeah. Cameron Poe, Caster Troy, Rick Santoro, and yeah, Memphis Reigns. It's like this that's a solid top five names. Do you know what I mean? Some of them do sound like you've you've opened a op, uh, opened a dictionary, put your finger on a word, and then flicked to another page and like picked another yeah, it's one. It's a bit that's childish like... Gambino Wu Tang name generator. <laughs> that's perfect. I could have put it back myself. Uh, um, Amazing. So now's the perfect time to talk about Primal Mike. Take it easy with my cat! What is it? White Jack, maybe 400 pounds. I have hit the mother load. Ah. I think this one's going to the highest bidder. So nice to see American faces. Marine Commando. Under arrest for crimes against humanity. Seizures can happen without warning. My radio will be on 24 hours. Dr. Taylor. The man that we're looking for is a mercenary assassin, a professional killer. Loffler let most of the animals out. So many places he can hide. Who says he's gonna hide? I'm going hunting. Government wants him alive. 
Was this your first time watching this film for this podcast? No, I'd watched it before. And I remember watching it a while ago and just loving this film. And then I remember you were putting calls out for films and I was like, give me Primal. (laughs) (laughs) So obviously this is a re-teaming of actor and director in this case. And in the case of uh, Nicholas Powell, he had only ever directed one other film which was uh, 2013's Outcast, mm. and which obviously starred Nicolas Cage. So, like, he's obviously got an affinity for the Cage Man. Uh, yeah. But, like, a really interesting director. I'm not sure if you know much about him at all. Like, I know he was a stuntman initially, because I think after reading up on him, it made sense why the John Wick trailer had been on it and stuff, because... That was a stuntman turned director, which made that John Wick franchise so work so well. And I really like this kind of trend. I, I say trend, there's two of them that I'm aware of. <laughs> but these stuntmen who know how the workings of film and how it's going to be shown on screen, they have an insight and a first-hand experience that I think is really interesting. So you get some really great visuals in terms of primal with the fight scenes and the pacing and obviously with John Wick. Well, yeah, and, and Nicholas Powell's got some like real solid credits as a stuntman, right? Like, if you've if you kind of look through that list, he's like, he's he's done he's done some. He was in like, Gladiator, I think. Yeah, he's done stunts on Gladiator. Twenty eight days later, uh, the, the, so I I yeah Engl- English English director as well, I assume, because he's like it start yeah. like he. he, he Here's one for the uh, for the for the British listeners. He used to be a stunt coordinator on EastEnders. <laughs> there you go. He's, he's done a Touch of Frost, Silent Witness, uh, the Lockstock TV series that kind of like came and went in the yeah. in, in 2000. I assume for most of his career during British TV was if someone slammed a pint glass down angrily, that was his hand. Yeah, yeah. What the like, stunts would be on a British TV show? That or like if like <laughs> Phil Mitchell fell down a flight of stairs drunk or something, he'd be the one taking the tumble. That's <laughs> yeah. Where I reckon he wore a lot of bomber jackets or like, do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> with the yeah, with the with that with that classic orange lining, I, I, I'd assume. But um, and and this like obviously going into this film, it, it, I think if you went in blind like having just known that he's the guy who directed outcast you could go in a bit trepidatious right what Mm. was your kind of like yeah can can you remember how you felt when you like first were gonna watch this and what you kind of expected my expect like it's grim because i love cage my expectations are never that high you know because i remember i kind of went in with to watching two on one with like relatively high expectations and that dropped pretty quickly but this, I was like, let's give it a go. And the thing that I was like most excited about was it was Kevin Durand facing off against Nick Cage. And I love Kevin Durand as an actor, so I thought that was a really good combination. The premise, I like, it might be fun. So I was like, it's going to be worth a watch. It's definitely worth the three pound as to buy. 
So I was like, this will kill an evening. Let's have at it. Yeah. And obviously in the intro, I kind of did like a, a very loose summation of it. Could you kind of like uh, do a, a bit of a better synopsis for us? Kind of like the kind of like the build up of this film before things go haywire as such. So Nick Cage is a jaded animal trapper selling them to zoos around the world in shady dealings. He then has to get on a ship with his cargo to Puerto Rico or Cuba. From there, as he's boarding the ship, the feds show up and they have to transport a dangerous criminal and then hilarity ensues as they get on the <laughs> ship and it leaves. Well, yeah, when we get like when we get to that point, obviously we're in that's when we're like introduced to the rest of this car. So there's obviously, as we mentioned, obviously Nick Cage as Frank Walsh, uh, um, Famke Jansen as Dr. Ellen Taylor, Kevin Durant as Richard Lothier. Uh, Loffler, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have. Um, La Monica Garrett as Garrett, sorry, Garrett. <laughs> La Monica Garrett as John Ringer. We have Michael Imperioli as Freed. We have Isaac San Diego as Vasquez. Uh, and then, like, a whole host of other kind of like just US Marshal cannon fodder, basically. Mm, yeah. <laughs> like, no offense to those actors, but like, some of them, like, I'm reading their names on IMDb here now, and I'm like, I don't remember you being called that. <laughs> <laughs> but like when when we get onto this ship, it's like it's really like it's really interesting. I was kind of gripped from from the get go, and like I kind of forgave the film quite early because like we get this scene of Cage in a tree. Like yeah, the film kind of opens up, and when we first see this white jaguar, that like a thing of legend in, in Brazil, I think it is. Yeah. Hey, like it's it's a CGI jaguar, right? Yeah. Once you get past the CGI being like Alien Three tier, maybe a bit better. But it's a three pound DVD. If you're expecting Avengers Endgame effects out of this, you've set your expectation too high. So for what it is, it does the job. But that's what I mean. Even like even with those like things, I was like that. That's not that's not bothering me because I was like it's. This is what it is, Jeremy. You know I mean? Yeah. Like, and but it's it it's it's fun from the get. And I was like, one of the things I've got down in my notes is the fact like it doesn't take too long to get like to kind of for the switch to happen. So yeah. like, I think I think I checked the clock and it's like twenty seven minutes in. Like in that time, they've set it up perfectly in kind of who everyone is and yeah. like some of it like obviously that like, is a bit like probably nitpicky but there is like a very convenient moment where they're all at like dining tables and like like yeah. C- cage's character is like brash and loudmouth and he's like hey man if we're gonna be on this boat with this guy we gotta know who the fuck he is yeah and then like and then obviously we get we get the kind of uh company stooge for like the nsa or something like that who's saying like Oh, like gives us like the kind yeah. of uh, the, the backstory ju- of everyone in Justly. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he does like the kind of John Cusack and Conair, where he's like, "Well, this is." And I got, I, I, I got some Conair vibes from this. I'm yeah, not sure if you got like. I got the same thing. I remember I said to John after I watched this, "This is the, my favorite 
action cage since like the Con Air like action cage period. But even talking about like pacing and action, even in the first five minutes, you have that kind of like cheap jump scare of the Jaguar coming up to the platform and then him going to knife fight the fucking thing. So it's even the pacing of the film as you get into it in the first five minutes, it's like this is happening. Well, it's it's like that thing that we have in a like like a Bond film or something. They kind of give you that like big like bit at the beginning, bit of razzle dazzle, and and then like kind of simmer down for a bit and then kind of kick back into it. But like this is like a solid what like ninety three minute film and that doesn't doesn't mess about with its kind of like and there's enough like jeopardy and uh kind of like wheels in motion and stuff like that and enough players and like the people you're supposed to care about you care about yeah i mean and like it's like they they know like these u.s marshal guys are essentially the star trek red shirts like (laughs) you're kind of like it's it's signposted from the get-go like they ain't making it to the third yeah. reel. Of if this if they aren't getting a first name in the first 20 minutes, you don't need to pay attention to who these people are. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so as, as the film progresses, obviously, um, with uh, Kevin Durant's character, he fakes, well, yeah, he looks like he's having a seizure, right? And like, well, one of the things we get brought up at that like exposition dinner is that like and Cage said, Cage says to the, the NSA guys like why why didn't you just take a plane with him which like I, as an audience it, it's kind of, yeah. I, I'm kind of glad he was there because I'm like yeah why the fuck did I I've seen another, like I've, I've seen Lost like they had someone they were extraditing someone to go yeah. down to America like they just got on a plane like and like again like you can look at this two ways but this this again is a ninety minute action yeah. So like, don't expect too much. It's like it's got a very convenient. Uh, he's got like a con- brain damage, right? That means if he goes over a certain altitude, he will essentially his brain will like pop, and they yeah to... yeah. There's no questions because you could be like, well, why didn't they sedate them through the entire ship? Why didn't they do anything like that? Because that's not going to mess with his ear pressure or whatever was triggering trigger seizures. So there are questions that you can ask, but. Just don't, because it's 90 minutes and it's a fun film. <laughs> and, uh, one, one of the things that really jumped out to me as well is like the kind of terrorist organization or kind of like militia organization that uh, yeah, uh, Loeffler used to work for were called Sword of God. Like, yeah. which, that, that, they, sound like a, they sound like a band that like I wouldn't necessarily like, but I'd go like, they've got cool merch. Yeah, <laughs> you'd you'd buy a T-shirt and then someone would ask you to name a track, and you'd just go the self-titled. I like their alias stuff. Yeah, uh, in the in the witch's wood, and just try and like come up with something a bit like yeah. a bit mystic, and hope that you like like roll roll that uh roll that ten-sided die right. Yeah, but like the introduction to Durand and like Loffler is really interesting. And Duran's one of them character actors that I don't think has ever been given the shot he deserved because he's phenomenal in The Strain. He was great when he popped up in Vikings. And in this, he talks with like a slightly higher voice, I think. And he has this really creepy smile throughout the film where he, you know he's in control the entire time. And with that same Con Air, John Malkovich vibe of like his character in this. 
that that's the thing I got straight away. As soon as, soon as he's kind of introduced, so even the way it's shot, where like you get this thing of the restraints on mm. his arms, and it's like kind of these people coming out of this van. All I could think was Cyrus the virus. Yeah, and then he's like uh, caged up in the the hold, like he's yeah somewhere between like like yeah like Cyrus the virus in that kind of holding cell in the plane. And and he's a bit uh, it's, it's it's a bit Silence of the Lambs with uh, like Hannibal Lecter almost yeah. like he's this and he's a guy who's incredibly like smart as well like yeah and yeah so like at the twenty seven minute mark he fakes this seizure that that and it, it's brutal right like when he gets that guy in there and he's like biting oh, his fingers bites his fingers does he bite them off or does he just pluck them up because I can't remember if there's, like I don't think there's a shot where he spits them out I think he just like chews on them a bit. But I think it's that thing of like he's locked his jaw on, and like he it's that thing yeah. he he knows what he's doing, so he like lures them both in with this seizure, kicks his chair out, so and it's quite like it's quite striking imagery of this guy like mm. kind of chains like round the waist, round the wrist, kind of like uh, being like held up in the air, and then yeah, like shoots one of the guys, and kind of like from then like just kind kind of takes over the boat like yeah. sub by using subterfuge and stuff like that like destroying certain things and kind of the the big thing that kind of draws cage mainly into the action is he lets all of his animals loose on the boat yeah and the boat it doesn't just have the jaguar on it's these monkeys with their babies who are super aggressive there's a tapir for some reason there's parrots and there's not a par- there's one parrot that knows what a gun is and can talk about it <laughs> which is a handy little device to have in a film. And yeah, so he's got all those animals that are out as well. And it's like the poisonous snakes, which was like the one of the big tension points in the film. Yeah, they're, they're kind of set up really well as well. Because like when, when, when it's uh, revealed that the snakes are loose, uh, you, kind of, you kind of are aware where they're going to pop up at one point. Because like, he's not cages over the radio, uh, Frank is, and he says like, well, the snakes are gonna go wherever it's the warmest, and it, you know you got these two like guys in the engine room. You got that guy puffing his cigarette, yeah. and you got you got you got this kind of helper Jerome, and they you like oh no, then you're just worried. You're like, which one is gonna get fucked up by the yeah. snake? Like, <laughs> um, so like yeah, press it like pressing on with it. Like, um, well, is is there some scenes kind of in this like? set up and kind of before things really go buck wild that like we've missed or that you kind of like really stand out to you i think before the animals get released and like loffler breaks out it's just kind of like the setup and i feel like famke's character wasn't really utilized much i remember when she was introduced i was like you're harboring a fugitive and you're trying to cross him against trying to get him across like international waters on a ship and you're making her wear a skirt you bastards everyone else is decked out in like military gear and she's in full like office like official dress and like regalia and it's like why isn't she wearing like the tactical shit yeah well yeah and it's the thing with like famke jensen's like an odd one she's like kind of she seems to be like a lot of the time well i think it's mainly taken but like the wife in things and stuff. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I think uh, this is the first film outside of like X2 where she's been given a chance to shine. 
Yeah. And it's it's good, but they could have used a lot more of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and I don't know. I, I think like the the kind of tension like between her and Cage is quite good. I think I think one of this film's strongest points is their kind of like relationship because like it's not overtly like no there's not like a romantic thing to it really it's not like a romantic sub like like subplot or anything like that it's it's this kind of like just tension between like i don't know if it's like sexual or like there's just this kind of like flirtation between them and like and just like the little nod that he knows her dad from like the san diego zoo when he worked there and there's like it, it 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 gives chance for possibly some of cage's like best lines because he's kind of like stumbling around the ship drunk uh, at one point and he comes across her and he goes ah what's up doc yeah like, <laughs> it's like, well that's great it kind of gets cage to like kind of flex this wild like muscles and I, that's the thing is like this is like quite a human cage performance mm, and it's yeah that thing we were talking about um yeah i think we've kind of mentioned earlier is What's great about Cage is when he is like those eccentricities and stuff like that are a part of the character. And mm. it's not just like this takes you out of the film or anything like that. It's like his character has probably led like this wild life, whether it is months on end in the wilderness. Yeah. So he is going to, and he probably spends a lot of time on his own. So he probably is going to be a bit eccentric and. I don't know, like he's got these quirks to him that feel feel real and they feel like that is the character. It's not yeah. like, it's not acting, as it were. Yeah, and from like an action cage perspective, he's not invincible and untouchable. Like he gets knocked out in the film and stuff, while like that would have been unheard of in like Connor or something like this, as he takes punches and he keeps rolling with it. This is a lot more Bruce Willis and diehard action hero than like Rambo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So obviously once the once the animals, once the menageries out of the cages, the 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 uh, ship goes into something that all of us are uh, au fait with and uh, know a lot of now. It goes into lockdown, and uh, but like <laughs> Frank Frank ain't having it, and uh, he delivers a great line when he's like talking to the the leader of the tactical team, who really reminded me of. There's a cop in. I know you watch this show in. Uh, criminal minds the oh, yeah. act, the actor really do you, do you know the cops net like the the guy i'm talking about uh, oh Ed, like derek morgan derek like, morgan it, yeah, yeah the yeah it it, <laughs> it it looked like we they wanted like derek morgan from criminal minds yeah. and they're like well he's like he's really busy because he, he well he now does like some like cop show like some actual like i don't know like blue badge or something like that but like jimmy and like it's always funny with these kind of straight to vod or like dvd films to see they uh see see like the who they wanted casting yeah they got um but like like what did you think yeah what did you think of uh is it john ringer as a character i really liked him because he's obviously the face of kind of the establishment and one of the things that kind of like is a theme in this film which i think runs through a lot of stuff at the moment is like that distrust of the federal government and that distrust of authority this is like frank walsh is like anti-authoritarian you know he goes through he was a air force mechanic so he was in structure and that's what probably gave him his 
distaste and distrust of authority. And then they say he went through eight zoos in 10 years. So again, he's got an anti-authority problem. So he's like working for himself. Mm-hmm. And there's that kind of push against it. And that's kind of what Loeffler later on in the film tries to win Nick Cage over with is to be like, they are using you. This is, you know, the mistrust and trying to sow them seeds of doubt, which are already there because of kind of people's distrust of the feds. And here's a great pillar of what you go up against. Who is unflinching unmoving and like in his head he's the law and he plays it Lamarca Garrett plays that really well and he's just like this huge intimidating figure in the film but what's really what's even more interesting as well is we kind of like there's so many like kind of pillars pitted against each other because we obviously have yeah like the strong arm of the law with uh John Ringer and like his U.S. Marshals and then we have like the kind of company stooge who's like his thing is he wants to like he's got to get him there alive like that like yeah. that's his kind of like that's his uh, modus operandi and then we've got like the we've got the crew on the ship who are just like we just want to get from like point a to point b once like the animals are released then you've got frank's fingers like well fuck all of you i don't like, i don't care about like do you know what i mean i'm with i'm with these guys on the ship i like i like uh morales mm. and like the the guys in the engineer and uh raphael even though he makes a joke to raphael when he asks him like do you like me and he's like well i like you sl- slightly less than the parrot and like, it, <laughs> like it's moments like that that give you like a really nice um yeah, that really humanise, I think, uh, Frank yeah. Walsh's character. But, like, I think that that kind of dynamic uh, makes it really interesting in that it's not just, like, it's all of them versus uh, Loeffler or, like, it's this kind of, there's a distrust. Yeah, the, the, the conflict and the agendas are always, like, superseded and it's, you know that what Frank's agenda is, isn't going against, like, it's going against what Ringer wants. And then behind Ringer, like, Michael Imperioli's character is, like, playing even, like, a bigger game that, like, no one else is even aware of. Yeah, it's, like, really, like, I don't know, I think for me, and it kind of comes to a head later on in the plot, which I'm sure, well, we have to get to it because it's a big moment in the film, isn't it? Uh, (laughs) But, like, yeah, obviously, we, unfortunately, somebody does get attacked by the uh, the snake, right? Bites Morales eventually. Mm-hmm. Bites one of the snake, and the the cook as well. He comes to an unfortunate end when um, much the monkeys just, get him. Yeah, which is like that. This film manages to kind of allude to so many other different films, but not in the way where you're like, ah, oh, I wish I was watching that. It's just like you kind of get the vibe of something. Yeah. Not, not necessarily like oh they've ripped off that like I don't that moment I can't it's like a mixture somewhere between like Jurassic Park and uh, is it Deep Blue Sea the moments I was literally just about to say the kitchen scene reminded me of Deep Blue Sea mm-hmm. yeah it's got it's got it's got that kind of vibe right and I think it's like anything in a kitchen where like there's definitely especially like they're little creatures and they're mm. kind of running around it's like that kind of uh, uh, Jurassic Park thing with the kids like hiding, but like it's it's pretty brutal what happens to him, right? Yeah, yeah. But like going back, I think you were about to like say you had like a quote or something. But one quote as the ship goes into lockdown, which kind of sums up like Frank's K 
character and his viewpoints against Ringers is when Ringer asks if the taps are working and he goes, I know how a fucking faucet works, you federal clown. And it's the level of condescension Ringer had to Walsh and the contempt Walsh had back at Ringer was just a, a really great character tone. Well, the, yeah, and there's a, there's another there's another line he delivers which I think is per, like perfect when he says like I'm not going like I'm not just going into lockdown. I'm going to get my animals back. Like, and he says like, how long will it take for this arsehole to find that arsehole? And it's like, you know, it's like, it's like he he already thinks he's like, well, you're like, he already thinks everyone's an arsehole. And then like, he's like, he really sticks it to. I think his ringer he says it to, or yeah, yeah. He's like, when when obviously uh, more of ringers men get get killed, like um, after yeah, Morales is sh- uh, bitten by the snake. Uh, ringer shoots, r- ringer shoots the snake. And then one of the guys gets taken down by the Jaguar. And there's like mm. this, again, like a very tense scene of like, you've got Frank with his like tracking device going into this uh, room. And then you've got a couple of the like US Marshals going in. And like, again, even though it's like a, yeah, like a, a ropey CGI ja- like Jaguar, when it, when it jumps out, it's like, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the, the point I was like leading to is when, when he kind of like after that moment ringer kind of like that's when he's kind of against um freed like mm. uh, and he says to him like right like i don't give a fuck anymore about your like we need to extradite him and get him there alive he's like he's dead and he turns to yeah. frank and he's like social social cat that that's dead and he uh, in, he sa- he says to him, he like Frank says to him, like you kill my cat, I put a bullet in your head, and it's like, yeah, this guy doesn't give a fuck. Like literally, the only thing he cares about is like those presidents on, like on money. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they're they're the kind of like masters he answers to. Like, yeah. not- and the interesting thing I've just thought of while you were like talking about that is, it was like, it's an interesting like I don't know if it's a parallel, but it's an interesting thing where a federal agent and a government employee is saying you're going into lockdown and some guy is rather anti-authoritarian went, no, I'm fucking not. <laughs> and that kind of distrust is like deep rooted. It's quite like present, especially in like this culture and society at the moment. So that is like, I really found the interesting thing was, you know, even though there's not a lot of American citizens or thing or anything on that ship, it's really just Frank. There's still a distrust of the government and there's that libertarianism and like anti-authority in this film is like that's deep rooted and it's even like it's been out in like a lot of things like in tiger king where they're like fuck the feds and there's a lot of that kind of attitude now so it's interesting to see it in this setting as well and like how it's deep rooted into even in a film that's from 2019 and filmed earlier than that yeah 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 so as the plot goes on obviously loffler manages to like get the upper hand on them when he takes over the bridge right he takes out the the second in command and one of the one of the cannon fodder gets taken down and then he recharts the he turns the boat around and destroys all the controls and then we get like um frank manages to to trap loffler and like he's again like there's moments like that he kind of like the way frank is reminded me of like a john mcclain type he's kind of got <laughs> that kind of charm to him where he's like he, he takes his um 
he takes his map off him he kind of like takes him into a room and um is it is it Loffler grabs Raphael at this point and like he, he he's holding hit or Raphael comes into the room yeah so it's he's got Loffler at the gun and the kid walks in but then the Jaguar walks in and he's only, he'll only have time to shoot one that's it so he yeah, has yeah. Yeah, yeah, because he had a he had a gun, didn't he? And he has a he has a um tranquilizer. A dart rifle, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so um I went like again for like for tense scenes, like that that I, I, I've written a few times in my notes, like the tension in this is spot on. Like yeah. it, it, it 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 builds it and then like kind of it's like a pressure cooker because it will build up the tension and then it will give like a little bit of like let out a little bit of steam and then it will kind of and I guess that's what this, this this whole plot is based on, is that thing of, like, not only do we have this, like, loose madman, this kind of, like, all-knowing, no-moral-killing machine, we also have <laughs> these animals that yeah. don't care about any of that. All they care about is survival. And yeah. we're like, fuck you all up. Do you know what I mean? They don't yeah. care about your political allegiances or this that and the other whether like, you're morally good or bad they will just like yeah the, the jaguar yeah. will kill you either way and, I, and the interesting thing is i think it's the only other character you see a perspective of is from the jaguars where they have that like filter yeah. and that lens and it's all from like the jaguars point of view which is a really interesting way to like build tension and in that scene where it's like the mexican standoff you have the jaguars point of view as it switches between them well this film like Funny enough, likes to like likes to play with the Mexican standoff a, a couple of times, and um, but before we get to like the uh, yeah the the big one, we get uh, well my note here just says Ringer is being an arsehole. I think like he 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 does get to a point where he kind of like re- really re- really ramps it up right, and then this is at the moment when Frank and Doctor Taylor argue about. Like she finds out that Frank is like an illegal smuggler, basically. Of like he says, yeah. I, d- I don't have paper for these animals, and he's like, and um, that's again we get that we get that nice tension between them two because he, he says like, I make your heart beat, someone that you can't take home to the admiral, and he's like, he's like being flirtatious in the way that like, you, like you see past this roguish exterior and just see that like, and and that's the thing as an audience member, you also see that as well. Like, uh, and then like, yeah. um, How is it that Frank gets knocked out again? Like it's when he's got the gun on him and they're walking through the archives. And I think Loffler makes a move and knocks the gun out of his hand. And then it's just a scrap. And that's when he just starts like, he like Walsh gets a few good digs in, but Loffler like Duran's like what nearly seven foot tall or something like yeah, he's yeah. huge, and obviously gets the upper hand on him as he's military. But then I've made a note, and it's military strong versus jungle strong, because <laughs> Cage he's not like Marvel ripped. He's not like an action hero physique. He's got like a belly on him. But to me, that's more believable. Where you have like those dudes who are like Dockers or welders or whatever where they have that like physique where it's like a barrel belly or whatever but they're still strong as fuck so if you have to build like a high hide in the jungle and you have to trek and you have to catch these animals and drag them back in cages you're gonna have a physique or like a strength that 
the lies, like what you actually look like. Yeah, and I think it it, it interestingly says something about just like Nicolas Cage's career as an action star because he's kind of of that generation of like uh, everyday man like mm. action heroes, and I think like that kind of like boomed in the nineties, especially. It's kind of like I always look at him and Keanu Reeves because yeah if you look back to the 80s it was either people who were like these chiseled Greek Adonises whether it's just Sylvester Stallone's or Dolph Lundgren's or Arnold Schwarzenegger's or you had like these people who were highly trained in like martial arts and could like do you know what I mean your Van Dams whereas like when it got to the 90s it was like oh let's let's put these guys who's like do you know what I mean? It's like, well... Yeah, it was after, like, the Die Hard effect, wasn't it, with Bruce Willis? Yeah, that was kind of, like, the, the, the proto version of it. And then, like, the 90s, it really exploded, whether it's, like, speed. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, he, he, he's not... he's not He doesn't have to carry the bus. Do you know what I mean? He just has to make sure it stays <laughs> over over 50 miles an hour. It's like... Yeah, cardio I, became more important in the 90s than, like, just bodybuilding. Yeah, and it's... uh. uh like cage in the rock it's like he likes science he's a jeremy he's always a scientist it's like oh that that's a bit more achievable than being like yeah so you gotta you gotta work out in the gym like every waking minute like you jeremy you've gotta you've gotta get up before you go to bed to get in the gym to look like arnold schwarzenegger it's like i don't know yeah and then that's the thing i think he was only ever really like I read a thing where the only the best shape he was in was in Conor when he was like ten percent body fat. He's doing like the upside down push ups against the wall, and since then it's he's not been again. He's not like Chris Hemsworth ripped or no. Chris Evans or whoever, and it's more realistic. And he's not you know Steven Seagal level unbelievable where it's like a fucking like a weeble running around with like glasses <laughs> on. You know, Nick, it's still, he's he's just, he looks like a man. Like, he looks like he's got, like, if you want to use the term dad bod, but he's just an average shit guy. And I think that's probably down to Cage, who's like, if I'm doing these, like, six films a year, if he got ripped for one, he'd have to suddenly lose weight for another thing. It'd mess up his whole, yeah. like, gig. He doesn't want to be doing, like, what Christian Bale did to his body. So it's got to be just, like, something, like, a shape and a, fitness level that is consistent across like films like the everyman yeah exactly yeah yeah yeah. um so back to primal when did you when did you realize that uh is it michael uh, imperioli imperioli's character was a rotten apple oh i don't know if it's because of my paranoia and distrust but the second they were in the canteen canteen introducing everyone in the first 20 minutes i was like that guy's gonna fucking betray everyone (laughs) but it the way he does it and the level he does it because he comes off as like he's not going to get his hands dirty and he wants them alive and then his first kills pretty brutal. Yeah, he's like he like slices, stabs, yeah. stabs a guy in the back of the head. So it's not like he's using a gun and being like emotionless. Like if you're stabbing someone in the back of the head, that's a level of brutality that kind of gives more away about a character than if he just shot him. Yeah, because you are literally getting blood on yeah. your hands. Like it's not a figurative thing. And then, yeah, like after after you get that, and that Aston Loffler kind of like cottons on that, like mm. he's he's not as he seems. And then uh, Freed like is 
Well, no, no, no. Loffler, like, kind of in classic villain, uh, like, tropes, tells tells Frank his kind of dastardly plans. And he's like, I need my map back because I'm going to chart this boat to Grenada and then I'm kind of going di- to, I'm going to disappear. Right? It's like, that's, yeah. And then it gets like, for me, possibly one of the hardest moments to watch in this mm-hmm. film is when Loeffler decides to like, that he knows the bargaining chip. Well, as we've established, Frank doesn't care about the people on the boat. Yeah. He care like, even though like I don't, he's he's let it slip with the kid because that mm. like, obviously he had the chance to shoot the the tight the the jaguar, the jag. yeah, yeah, or or, or Loffler and like went for Loffler and it's like that kind of thing because he knew that the yeah he, yeah 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 you, you kind of get that impression that like that's 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 given a part of him away so like but he shoots. He starts shooting the parrots, and it's how did that scene make you feel, Mike? That was really hard to watch because obviously, and I've put like on my notes, I'm like, that's probably the closest you get to a Nick Cage freakout in this film, in my opinion, where he's tied into the cage and he's watching Loffler kill the birds, and it is really brutal because you know, you know that as like a cold blooded assassin, he's happy to just go through the crew and go through the like like the team and just kill everyone. But it's when you like when like people in films turn on the animals is when you're like, this guy's just unapologetically evil. And I don't know why that is, but I know this is why my girlfriend didn't watch this film with me because I was like, animals die in this film. And she was like, I'm out. And that where he's going through and he's so ruthlessly just lining up the beds and just they're exploding in the feathers. And it's so well again paced and shot and the score under it's just amping up that tension that it was a really like grim watch like it was harder to see this again you know it's it was harder to see the bears get shot than like half the fucking team well yeah and one of the things that i found really interesting about this film is like i thought going in i would have a problem with uh the character of frank walsh because he's a hunter and then like not that any different like oh obviously there is like different levels of hunting he's not a game hunter in like, mm. he's not a trophy hunter yeah like do you know what I mean he he hunts them keeps them alive like but then what they're like again that's a different level of moral ambiguity because he doesn't really care what happens to them then after that yeah I imagine like uh, as Famke Jansen's character says to him like he's kind of it yeah like kind of gets out of him that he'll just go to whoever the highest bidder is yeah and as somebody um yeah who, th- he says that but then he's also a heavy drinker so it's that heavy drinking has to be rooted in the moral implications because you aren't gonna be a zookeeper for 10 years mm-hmm. and be a, like a big game hunter to like trap them and take them to zoos or whatever and not care about them obviously yeah. his reaction betrays his like his bravado and his like, front to it and that's what I mean. Like, I thought, like, I was going to have a problem with it because, like, I've never mentioned this on the podcast because it's not something, like, I I, I, I don't, I don't want to seem like I'm preaching anyway. But I am vegan. So I was, like, like going into this film, I thought, like, oh, I'm going to have, I'm gonna have a, like, gonna have a problem with that. And it's, like, no. Like, this is, like, it's nuanced. And, mm. like, as, as you mentioned, like, the character, like, 
there's shades of him and there's like this thing there's enough kind of breadcrumbs left for you that if you're kind of paying attention you will pick up on this kind of thing that he is like he ha like underneath you know what I mean he's a he's he's a he's it's a to quote Shrek like he's an onion he's got layers yeah. do you know what I mean and like kind of if 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 you pick him away like yeah you might get I don't know you might get to one that w won't make you cry I don't know I don't I don't, I don't know where, <laughs> where that analogy was going but you kind of I, I, yeah I think you get uh, get the point uh, but like yeah I think the the job the the film handles it really well and I'm not sure if that's down to Richard Leader's writing because um, mm. um, I looked at I looked into him as well and like from everything he's done as a writer like this is his second like feature oh, really script. yeah like what was his first one a, a film called The Suspect in 2006 like well the rest of them are TV movies so I mean mm. like like kind of like do you know what I mean like studios like meant for cinemas or like straight to dvd the, yeah the rest are shorts or uh, and a lot of written yeah 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 um yeah they're all like written by straight to dvd and like just by looking at the title stuff i've never like heard of i'm gonna imagine uh a lot of like hallmark channel mm. stuff as like christmas on chestnut street and like amber's story scared silent do you know what i mean these these all sound like late after or like mid-afternoon yeah. channel five fair where it's like <gasps> like lots of lots of high strings and kind of like yeah. lots of family yeah. tensions but like i like i obviously like i dabble in writing mm -hmm. and this guy like the script and like the film it's well written it's like the characterization and the nuance and the humor and even the way the characters communicate is so well written that it's, it is a really a testament to how well this guy has written this film and the screenplay and just you know what, this film's just such a treat. Yeah, because we get that we get the moment like after yeah after the last scene we were mentioning, where obviously uh, Loffler's still on his rampage and he like again like a character you don't you don't really get a lot of screen time with, but it's Jerome and like when it came to like his kind of death like him mm. getting his neck snapped I, I i just really felt those two like engineers like the kind of yeah the guys working in the engine room like i i, I don't know it's something about them like you kind of you get who they are straight off the bat without yeah. really like i don't know if you got i got a, like i got a they were a couple vibe in my head it, oh really it, from my perspective i was like though like to me those two were like i don't know if they were in a relationship but i thought they were a couple and I thought, like, they had a history and that was, like, deeper from what it was. Like, I don't know if it was, like, the looks and the way they acted around each other. It was, to me, I thought they were a couple. That was the vibe I got from them. And I really enjoyed, like, Jerome. And I can't remember, the old, like, the older mechanic's name. But I really liked them two characters. And I was, like, sad to see Jerome yeah. go. Yeah, because, like, for, for me, the kind of my reading of it was, like, they just, like... Because, obviously, the, the other guy is that much older, but it's just, like... Jerome is possibly like from I don't know somewhere along Jamaica from yeah from Jamaica so like somewhere where the boats like kind of like docked up one day or something like Jerome's joined them like yeah. will it willingly do you know what I mean like yeah uh, like and kind of like he's taken him under his wing and it's kind of like this I don't wh yeah whether it's a romantic relationship or it's kind of like this 
paternal like yeah some relation but yeah it's like that. yeah there was definitely like a love and connection i think between them two characters that i really enjoyed because obviously you had the father and son on the ship yeah. and then to these two were the only other like couple that were really seen in the ship mm-hmm. so i really enjoyed like their relationship and chemistry and that fight i was screaming the entire time help him like jump in as well because if both of them had got him if the, both of them had jumped on Lothla, it might have ended differently Mm-hmm. but jerome's death was like one of the character ones that i was really sad to see yeah and it's like again that that's definitely down to like a, a one two of like some solid directing and 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 a, a, a great script that this mm-hmm. film's got um so and then yeah and you, you say you're saying about script as well there's a great like the next scene's really great where you have um uh like Fra- freed like and he finds frank in the in, in the cage and he's like can't like just let me out and he's like it's locked and he says to him like have you not have you not seen the movie have you not do, do you not watch tv shoot the damn thing and it's like <laughs> and it's like that kind of thing's like great it's, it's it, it has those moments of levity throughout it that yeah. kind of go all right we're not like that this is what this film needs like it and it, the thing is, this film is so much better than it has any right to be. I think one hundred percent. Like I've seen a lot of reviews talk about it as a B movie, and I get that from the premise and the CGI and stuff. But the level that like everyone commits on this film, from the screenplay to the directing to the acting, is phenomenal for what it is. Well, yeah, and it's got that kind of thing as well. That it's a film that like you'd probably write off because it's got one of those pull quotes on the DVD cover that is like, um, what is it like? I've got this up because I wanted to talk about this because I don't understand what it actually means. The ultimate hunter versus the ultimate predator. And I don't know who's who in this. (laughs) My thing was like the pull quote where it's like, you know, when they have like, it's X film meets X. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Now I think in in the case of Primal, it is um, something along the lines of like snakes on a plane meets like uh, yeah, like snakes on a plane meets under siege or something like that. Uh, Die Hard meets snakes on a plane. That's what oh. it has on the back, quoted by Starburst. And I did my research, and that isn't the. Uh, the, the, the sweet no, it's, <laughs> it's it's actually a yeah like a, a film magazine, but uh... <laughs> yeah. but if you remade this film and you put like The Rock as Frank Walsh, mm-hmm. it was it would be a blockbuster film. It would be like it would surpass what Skyscraper was in The Rock's like canon. But that that is the thing. There's a fine line between like these, and it's all a matter of budget. Like. Mm. You, Rampage Skyscraper, they are B movies. Yeah. They are B movies with a A movie budget. If this came out in the 90s, this would be an iconic cage film that people would be talking about today. It'd be part of like whenever there's a cage marathon or a film festival, this would be one of those films. If this was made in 95. But it is a film that uh perfectly manages to like get cage at the right time. And it's mm. like like to portray that character who's got like this kind of 
I, he, he's got a lot of notches on his belt yeah. and stuff that he's done in his Wild life. Wearing. Yeah, he's got a lot of scars to bear and like kind of I don't, tales to tell. Um, so yeah, like as always, we've got to push on with the plot. And, uh, uh, yeah, we have. So we have Morales, the captain. He's 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 in a he's in a bad way, and the um, the rest of the the, re- the rest of the kind of survivors decide this is our chance to get out like frank says to to uh raphael like do you want to say your goodbyes to your dad essentially like we we've got to get off this shit there's they've all the life lifeboats have kind of been marooned at this point and there's there's what there's there's one left like a reserve so yeah. they they take that up they they throw it overboard and then who bloody turns up no, it's not the Jaguar. It's Loffler. And then we get we get that shootout right on the mm. on, on the on the deck. I think is the correct the correct term for that part of the oh, boat. Oh well, before that, the shock and death is Am Ringers. Yeah, sorry, like I, I didn't even bring it up because it kind of like it kind it of happens so fast, and it's it's perfect in a way because it's the exact same way the rest of the team dies. But for such a primary character to go out the way he did was, I was like, holy shit, that actually happened. Yeah, because they kind of just play it off like boom, boom. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they they don't make a song and dance of it. Yeah, like it wasn't a last stand or anything from Ringer or Lamonica Garrett's character. It was literally as brutal an exit as you could really get for what is considered one of the biggest characters in the film. Yeah, because like you kind of like. You get a glimpse, you get a hint at it that it's going to be like this last stand because, like, he kind of comes in. There's um, Ringer and like another agent are coming up the stairs. Like Loffler's, Loffler takes out the first guy and then, sh- or like, no, he shoots, he shoots he Ringer. Shoots, like, yeah, because it's like you think they're going to the last stand and it's going to be this big shootout, but it's literally as they open the door, Loffler steps out, shoots Garrett in the chest, shoots the other guy down the stairs, and then shoots. Garrett again in the face. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Then through the head. And it's, it's over. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like it's it's sobering in the fact that like and it is that thing of like, I don't know. I I, I kind of like that way that it treat it it didn't treat it like this kind of like this is the big Hollywood yeah. moment and stuff like that. It's like, well if you're gonna if you're gonna kind of mess around with like quote unquote wild animals, yeah, like, which is kind of Basically, like the wildest animal on this ship, arguably is Loffler. Yeah, is that like it's 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 not gonna be it's not there's not gonna be chance to like dance around. It is just no. gonna be like if he's got a chance, he's gonna kill you. Yeah, it's very it was very like Red State by like, Kevin Smith and its like delivery of that. It was very just like gone, and then it was carrying on with the rest of the plot. It was very like it wasn't a throwaway kill. It was an important kill, but it was a rule like how they went about it yeah yeah definitely so yeah but that see if i was doing this podcast on my own i would have probably forgot that <laughs> yeah I, I made a note i also made a note that lamonica garrett was a slam ball player before he was an actor do you remember slam ball no where they were like do you know, like they, were, they must have been why are people not watching basketball anymore and being like is it the one boring. with trampolines? Yeah, let's add trampolines to sl- like to basketball, and they made slam ball. And Lamonica Garrett was a slam ball player. Amazing. Before he was an actor, but um, yeah, 
as a little side note, but yeah, uh, Ringer's dead and we're on the deck. Yeah, and then um, Freed shoots the raft and Loeffler manages to take Raphael hostage and calls the Coast Guard to say, like, we're on this ship. And the, the thing is, this is one of my, like, nitpicks in this film, is that, like, the way he speaks as, like, pretending to be Ringer, like, he, he's just, like, really, like, blasé and uh, informal about it all. Because he's like, yo, Ringer out. But at the same time, he's there, like, casually in a banana. He's like, oh, yeah. And one more thing, we're going to need some food on that chopper as well because we're all pretty hungry down here. And it's like, you don't sound like someone who is A, in distress, or if even if you are in distress and you're like a trained military operative, to be like the kind of guy you would expect to be like, do you know what I mean, down the line. Like yeah. Ringer is very much like, yes, sir, no, sir, like... Do you know what I mean Roger over and out kind of guy? And like yeah. Loffler's like kind of like for I somebody who's so yeah. smart, it's like, come yeah. on, mate. <laughs> it just shows that like one of his biggest flaws throughout the film is he's rather cocky and he knows he's smarter than everyone else on the boat. So he already knew he was smarter than Ringer. And by killing him, he was like, I'm better. And he knows the person on the other end of the walkie doesn't deserve his acting. He doesn't deserve to be acting like Ringer or like to act military. He knows. He's like, he doesn't even stop eating the banana to call for help. Yeah. He's just like, you're going to do it anyway. He, like, he's just got that level of like contempt and cockiness around it all. Well, because in his introduction as well, do, well he says to um, Ellen, Ta- like Dr. Ellen Taylor, he says to her, like, oh, I'll meet you in like that Al, Al, Al Campo lounge for yeah. some cocktails. And uh, he says to Frank, like, or Frank says to him, like, I'll meet you on like the the racket the shuffleboard deck shuffleboard deck yeah yeah yeah. and um that and and the next scenes when he brings that up to famke jansen's character when like uh she's kind of sneaking about trying to find Raphael, and an actual like uh, this this like got me and i like so i live streamed like me writing the notes for this and just and and kind of taking and when pause the film every so often talked about other things that I didn't really kind of I'm a salesman I didn't want to ruin this episode as well uh, but um that moment really caught me off guard when the monkey jumps up at the window I was like you cheeky bastard yeah like you put this little <laughs> cheeky scare in <laughs> um and then yeah like that's when Loffler says to her he's like oh like we so we we like we said we'd meet uh, for a couple of cocktails in the lounge. She's like, and then he obviously takes her hostage, and then we get this like fantastic Mexican standoff, but in a way I've never seen because it's kind of done in a straight line. Like normally it's in, in a yeah. triangle, but they really like utilize the kind of like well, they, they use what they've got right because they're, yeah. they're in, like the galley of a ship or like. Yeah, of, and by oh, this time, a Walsh has switched to a, a hunting bow. Yeah, it's like the guy's a fucking <laughs> yeah. So yeah. so far, we've seen him use like I think at one point when he's like he blow darts a couple of monkeys at some point, yeah. doesn't he? He's, yeah, he's, he's used to like a kind of uh, yeah, like a revolver, yeah, a yeah, tranquilizer, yeah. and now he's switched to it. Now he's like fuck this and gets the bow out. Well, but it's, yeah, it's, it's really interesting how it's in the the line for the standoff. Yeah, so in the middle to kind of like this it's quite hard sometimes to explain stuff in a in an audio format but we have we have 
Frank in the middle facing uh, uh, Loeffler, who has got Famke Jansen by the neck. Classic, classic hostage move. He's got a gun to her head. His standoff with Frank is, if you shoot me, I shoot her. Perfectly fine. But then we have Michael Imperioli's character coming in to really fuck up shit because he is then behind Frank with a gun and he's he's pointing his gun at Frank and saying like, well, you can't shoot him because I need him alive. So if you go to, you need to slacken off your bow, otherwise I'll shoot you. So it's it's a real fucking clusterfuck, right? And it's like, in all honesty, in that moment, the only other way I could have seen it going is Famke Jansen dead, mm. cage like cage dead, Michael Imperioli dead, and thing and and uh, Kevin Durant's character getting away. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, but it's again, it's it's a lovely. I think, well, I think a Mexican standoff is kind of like you're gonna you're gonna build. That's a that's a kind of tension free mm. pass because like you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna build up tension with a Mexican standoff, right? Yeah, and it's the reveal that like Imperial is like it's it's NSA because he's like CIA or whatever throughout the film. Yeah, and then it's NSA and it's like the bigger plot of like what they need. Loffler four down the line that it's all starting to come out and it's it kind of like reinforces Cage's distrust. And is that when Loffler starts trying to win Walsh over, isn't it? He's trying to like get him on his side. Yeah, because that's when you don't know whether to trust Loffler, because he's mm. obviously saying to Frank, like, yeah, I, I, I'm I, I'm ex uh, NSA. I actually worked for NSA over in Brazil, but I was moonlighting for both the Mex- uh, the the Brazilian government and the like cartels. And he's also NSA. He just wants to take me back so they can kind of silence me. And they've mm. got this kind of big like Hydra like web that's like kind of going like yeah, doing all this dirty stuff. And it's like you don't quite know who to believe at that point. Mm. Like it's yeah, it's it's a uh, it's 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 really in, it's really interesting and it's it's very clever in the way that of that staging as well that you've yeah got, you've got you've got Frank in the middle because it is like he's kind of got this like well he's got two devils on his shoulder yeah it's like who who is the lesser of the two evils in that moment and it's it's in that moment as well again it, it it's weird because it reminded me of uh, the Rock in that it's like in that moment you kind of go like ah. Oh, Maybe Loffler's got a point. Maybe he is just a pawn in, like, the kind of government's games. And then it's yeah. like that kind of thing, like, Ed Harris's character is, like, he's justified in what he wants. Like, yeah. Do you know what I mean? He's got a reason, but, like, the, his means of going about it are pretty yeah. shady. That, that's the thing. Like, Walsh's distrust of, like, government or authority isn't rooted in anything mm-hmm. outlandish or unbelievable and it's the same kind of like distrust issues that like the audience has with governments and an authority so when um Loughlin is saying i was an assassin for the government and now they want to silence me you know that happened mm-hmm. you, like there's already cases from the cia and whatever in history where that's been the case so it's not a reach for it so it's when those seeds of doubt start coming in 
And when you see like Michael Imperioli's character, you know, being more shady and dishonest and pulling a gun on Frank instead of Loeffler, it's like, this is why those seeds of like distrust have been planted for so long. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so how does that Mexican standoff play out, Mike? How does it, how does it end? If I remember, so Freed shoots Frank, doesn't he? And Frank, I know it ends with Loffler getting an arrow through the shoulder mm-hmm. and Famke escapes. And then it's left to Walsh to try and find them because Lot like Imperioli bails as well after he's fired. Well, no, Imper- Imperioli is, is is shot by um, is shot by Loffler. I think. I think that's him. Him dead, right? Yes. That, no, I was getting confused between like the first, like on Daxine and the second one. Yeah. So he gets shot dead, and it's uh, Loffler still alive with the uh, arrow in his shoulder, which kind of shows that like out of the two between Walsh and Freed, Loffler was always going to try and kill Freed first. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think he still has a begrudge and a respect for him, Walsh, and his like anti-authoritarian ways. But yeah, Imperial he gets got. Well, and then we kind of like it's then it's all kind of up for the end game here, isn't mm. it? Kind of like we get this great exchange between over the radios between Loeffler and Frank, and like, uh, is it Frank says to him like, "How about you? How about you come here?" Or like, yeah. How about you come here and uh, I'll kick, I'll kick your fucking ass. And he's like, yeah, yeah, all right then. And then they kind of have this, this meet up. And like again, like through his, through his hunting prowess and expertise, uses that to his advantage. Yeah, because by this time the jaguar has been locked up in a storage, like in the um, like electrical cupboard of the deck, and Walsh is hidden behind barrels and starts using the blow darts to go against their Loffler. Yeah, and he's he's got he's dipped them in this stuff called Karari. And it's this like it's just it's a great it's a great fight scene they have. Because obviously they have this thing of like with Frank hiding behind the barrels and kind of like it is that you again you tense up because you're like he could like he could he could easily be done in in mm. for that. And it's like and the fact of the the way we saw like Ringer get like off and stuff like that it's like well this could this i mean the the person who could save the day here could just be famka jansen or something yeah Yeah, after the ringer it was kind of like all better off yeah again plays to like walsh's like strength and character that he's hiding while he's poisoning him it's not a straight out brawl straight away it leads to a knife fight but the initial confrontation is a lot more like underhanded Yeah, it's a yeah. lot more like using their smart. And whilst this is going on, we kind of have this like um, ticking time bomb because uh, Loffler has let out like the last remaining venomous snake, like at a perfect distance away from Famke Jansen and Raphael, in that like that's coming towards them. And then we kind of get this cutting back and forth between the, the shootout and then, yeah. He starts to get groggy from the from from the Karari. I have this knife fight again, and it's like they they're both taking hits, and like mm. Cage like gets it, like gets really, stabbed, yeah, yeah. Like, in the shoulder, and it's like it's pretty like gruesome, and like, yeah. then it then it kind of leads to like uh, I don't know. I, I I guess some people could call it underwhelming, but like, the Karari just 
kind of takes over basically Loffler and uh, he then realises he's kind of been set up into this trap there's a, a classic like what is it like noose on the floor that like yeah the old trap. noose on the floor ruse yeah 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 With, he's, he's even put some like um <laughs> like a hay over him yeah 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 so it's uh he's, he's a smart guy as Frank Walsh but like yeah. um do you want to? Uh, I'm not sure if you have it in your notes, but like, there's um, there's a, a brilliant line, uh, kind of Loffler's final line that that he delivers, and um, Frank's retort. If you don't have it, that's fine. I, I got no. It what's here. what's that one? He says, "I can't seem to feel my legs," and Frank's retort is, "I can't seem to give a shit." And then, like, <laughs> obviously pulls the rope and has him hanging upside down. And it's like, not only is this just a solid 90-minute actioner, the fact that, like, they've pulled off the kind of, like, final, like, like, like do you know what I mean? It's got a call off Bennett, like, or let off some yeah. stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's got a kind of, like, it's got one of those... It's got one of those, like, classic... Like, singers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's something you can just like use for like future reference. So it's like whenever anyone says anything to you, it's like I can't seem to find whatever. You can be like, I can't seem to give a shit and walk out the room. Yeah, yeah. It's like a real like bang, phone down moment. Uh and then like you think like it's it's pretty like it's a pretty brutal send off for Loffler, right? And it just gets worse. Yeah, because lot, lot like Cage goes and opens the cage, uh, like literally. He don't like on this podcast saying he opens <laughs> the cage. It could be like a metaphorical thing, or he goes wild. But uh, there's another interesting like um, exchange, like right, but yeah, like a kind of like final exchange to have where he says like, "How much mo- like how much money do you want, like uh, Frank? I'll give you, I'll give you anything." He's like, "It's it's not about the money." It's personal. Yeah, because yeah. like Loffler said it to him before where it was like, it's not business, it's personal. And mm-hmm. Cage says there's a little throw over his shoulder as he lets the jag out. Yeah. And um, and then, and then, and then yeah, we kind of like, the film very neatly wraps up here, right? We, so we get yeah. the, the Coast Guard coming in. And, the talking parrot's still alive. Yeah, and I, I like, I, so I've got a theory about the, uh, well, yeah. What did you think about the ending to this? Because I've got, a, I've got a theory to to how 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 where this goes after this this plot. Because yeah, it just wraps it up nicely, and it's like the Coast Guard show up and they go, "Do you have permits?" And Famke says, "No, it was destroyed." But I saw it, and she starts to have that grey stuff, but then like that uh, moral like greyness, and then it's uh, Cage has said that he's going to let the Jaguar go to a reserve, and it's all just a very you know, it goes to a lot of a happier ending of a simpler time. Yeah, because she she probably does like the oh the, the the biggest flirtation move you can do ever is she gives him her business card. I'm not sure. I'm <laughs> like, you're 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 engaged, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, like, did did you give your your fiance a business like a business card when you found her, or like vice versa? Is that is that the way you like? <laughs> I don't think I, I gave her a bit. She had she does have some of my business cards, but it's um it it's not a pickup line. It's not yeah, exactly like, exactly yeah yeah. If it, like you wouldn't think like oh what's like what's a way to 
it's a really yeah. like I, I don't know we're probably like there's probably people listening to this right now like work in the city and stuff like that being like what do you mean that that's how we do it that's how that's yeah. how we, that's how we move and shake like and then it cuts like the rainforest in costa rica or something in cages on a really shitty laptop trying to type in like a full <laughs> address and then gets like a, like a number wrong and it bounces back his mail not able to send <laughs> and he's sat in the jungle going fuck but yeah my my, my um because you get this you, it kind of the the camera like pulls away as you've got like cage with this parrot on his shoulder and like looking like i don't know what's that what's that uh kurt russell film is it like captain ron like he's, do you know what I mean? He's looking like he's he's he's, he's looking like he have a spin-off series. Do you know what I mean the escapades of Frank Walsh? But yeah, she says like, "Oh, I'm from like Adelphi," uh, like, and he's like, "Oh, it's just apparently like, how how would you feel about living in Adelphi?" And my so my theory of what happens next after this film is it turns out that where Frank has to deliver the Jaguar is no other than Joe Exotic's zoo in Florida. <laughs> like, that is a strong theory. <laughs> it's, it's like, like, I can see that. I think, I think they mentioned a Kenyan reserve. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that would definitely be maybe that's where it's like if the tapir didn't make it because we don't know how that turned out. So it might be he's like he's going to Joe Exotics because he's got some like bullet hole ridden beds, which I assume they'd buy for a small, <laughs> small fee to feed the rest of the tigers because they didn't really give a shit. But yeah, that's a strong theory. Yeah, and and, and it leads in perfectly to um well, I'm not sure if it would be next year or the year after with Nick Cage playing Joe Exotic. Is that actually going ahead? Yeah, that's that's like that's that's fully slated. Like that's it's on IMDB. It's like it's been it's he's even talked about it in 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 an interview. Like yeah, that's it's 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 happening. Like uh, I think it's been like picked up by a channel as well or something oh, really? like that. A production company but yeah it's in pre-production so yeah that is that that's happening no way that, it's a series as well isn't it yeah or so it's cage's that, first dalliance in tv i was gonna say because that's like the thing he said he'd never do because he's a film star hey he did he did industrial uh what was it like what's that film industrial symphony number no. nine that was a tv movie so mm. who knows who knows yeah. <laughs> uh, and and like i think yeah, now more than ever, 2020 is where I think we've realised that the line, the the lines really between TV and film are blurred mm. completely. And I think like prime example of that is the BBC series, which yeah, by the time this is out, would have been wrapped up by now. But is the Steve McQueen Small Axe series on the BBC, which is like the first, the first episode or film essentially is two hours long and it's mm. a, a series of films basically and like you you look at a lot of a lot of things it's like some people would argue like host the the film that kind of blew up on shudder is like 
68 minutes or something like that and it's like well people could argue well that's just a standalone, extended episode a, a standalone episode of something mm. do you know what I mean and it's like and and you look how cinematic some tv is mm. like there are there are episodes of breaking bad that are more cinematic than 211 yeah do you know what I mean like or like you like you, yeah. you, you put you put the kind of the humanity bureau up against like the yeah like uh like the sopranos or something yeah and 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 like yeah yeah the sopranos is 20 years old do you know what I mean? yeah. like, like yeah like this this kind of thing and it's i think it'll be an an, an interesting avenue for cage to yeah. be to go yeah. down i always hope that like cage would hold out for tv to do like you know a true detective season four or something of that like caliber but then obviously i don't know how well written the tiger thinking thing's gonna be i'm just i'm always wary of stuff that just seems to like jump on the bandwagon yeah i know that this is kind of has been like has been in like development for a while like it's been in development before tiger king or like do you know what i mean like the scripted because yeah. i think it's it had been optioned before tiger king even like Oh no way! Came out so yeah, mm -hmm. and I think I think it's that thing, and obviously to announce things as well. Obviously, people in like TV and Hollywood, they know. Do you know what I mean? They they know we're not going to get that series out before that one. So it's like, well, we'll hold off a little bit, and when that kind of does blow up, then we'll announce we've got Nick Cage to star in this because that that seemed to happen at like mm. when when Tiger King hit its apex of popularity, right, and like kind of when everyone and their mum had seen it in the world it's kind of then they went by the way nick cage is gonna play joe exotic in a tv series and that kind of everyone was like mm. how many articles did you get sent about that because i got a fair few yeah i got a fair <laughs> few yeah yeah i was like fuck's sake i've been trying to like talk up cage's films and stuff and now he's gonna be the fucking tiger king <laughs> like Amazing, Mike. Well, before we wrap this up, uh, I always ask about the film in specific that we've just talked about. Does Nick Cage have bad hair? I don't think so. I think it's it's quite like Mandy-esque still. It's still that kind of like thinning brown hair. That's just, again, it's just every man. It's not a wig. It's not really anything outlandish. It's just, you know, Frank Walsh's hair. Well, it's that thing. Like when I, well, Yeah, like when, when I tend to talk about bad hair, it's normally like well, I think the prime example of, re of recent times has been uh, Looking Glass, where it's like this kind of like jet, like, I don't know, unhumanly dark black hair, where it's like, <laughs> what's going on there? And uh, so talking about, yeah, stuff that is off the wall and crazy, does Cage do anything spectacular and crazy with his voice in this film? I picked up, I don't know if it's crazy, but part of the character I picked up, he references Long Beach and he has that surfer dude tone to a lot of stuff so when he goes out of like when he starts emoting it starts like breaking through of like he was like a beach bum or something back in the day he has that kind of long beach californian surfer dude way about his delivery of certain things so i think that's the craziest he kind of goes in this well i, th I, th I think this kind of the voice he uses in this is really interesting like it reminded me of something another film he's done but i couldn't quite pin it but like obviously it makes sense for the character because obviously he says he 
used to live in San Diego, so used mm. to live in California, and like, um, yeah, would have they, are, yeah, they, well, I've been to the beach in uh, San Diego, so they do, they do have, they do have beach, or probably would have been up and down the kind of west coast yeah. anyway. So yeah, it's like, I, I think it's a great, a great vocal. Like, I don't know, Frank Walsh is just a great character. I thought, and it's like, there is definitely a lot to be said about this character. It's, he like he came in fully formed. And you just started learning more things about him, and this is probably the most one of the most rounded Cage characters in recent memory. Yeah, and it's that thing as well that, in regards to uh, not just being fully formed, but um, he seems to—I've oh, lost my train of thought here. I do apologise, Mike. Um, like he would be a real world character. Like he would be, a, he's a real person. It's not yeah. like a parody or a, yeah, like anything. Yeah. This you, Frank Walsh could exist in this world. If Tiger King can fucking exist in this world, <laughs> Frank Walsh definitely can fucking exist in the like the world now. Well, it's the thing that he's not just a he's a like he's a flawed person. Mm. And the the point I yeah the point I'm trying to make is that it plays upon like Cage's real world baggage, and I think that's mm. quite, I always find that that kind of casting quite quite interesting in that like he is a man who like to some degree has been in the public eye for a for a long time obviously is quite reserved about a few things but it manages to like use that like world weariness that cage like gives Mm. off the impression he's got and like uses it to both the character and the film's advantages Mm. Um, so let's move on to the final question. Some people, and I, I more and more so think wrongfully, go to Nick Cage films looking for these kind of cheap freakouts. They, that all they want is the sizzle reel of yeah. Nick Cage loses his that nine minute YouTube video. Does Nick Cage freak out in this movie? I don't think so. He they, the the. Most like freaked out he gets is when um, Loughlin starts shooting the birds, and that's an understandable reaction to it. So I don't think he has like an unnecessary reaction to anything in this film, and nothing hits like a tone or a cadence that is unnecessary. So I don't think he has a freak out in this film. I think it's all, you know, as it should have been. I totally agree with you, Mike. So um, yeah, as we wrap things up and as podcasts go uh where can people keep up to date with you with everything you're doing whether it's the music the podcast or the comic books uh, yeah cool and so, um, you can go to my website which is mike333west.com i'm at mike333west on twitter and instagram you can find me on facebook i brought out a full-length album in august so that's a full album it's on vinyl it's on cd it's had some good reviews, which have been nice. Um, yeah, that's all. That's on my band camp and on my website. And then you can find Into the Van on Spotify and Acast and all the podcast platforms. Um, you've been a guest on which I was lucky enough to have a while ago. I've had people like um, Anthony Simpkins from Gems on VHS. I've had Sean James, who's a phenomenal musician, whose music you may have heard in The Last of Us too, And, you know, some great country musicians. And I've had Beans on Toast on recently, and it's just been a really fun thing so all that's through the website and i haven't written a comic book in a while so i need to 
Pope John to try and get something to do that. So, you know, just focus on the music and the podcast at the moment. And if you want to hear about the comic stuff, go listen to John's episode of this amazing podcast. Yes, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much, man. Uh, Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure, uh, yeah, having you on the podcast. And thank you so much for raging with Cage with me. I've, I've been looking forward to this podcast for so long, so I've been so excited to get this done. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you once again to Mike West for coming on the podcast and chatting some cage with me. And thank you guys, as always, for listening. We're one step closer to the end of Cage's career. Well, not the, the end, but you know what I mean, up to date with his career. However, as always with Cage, you take one step forward, he's taking two steps forward. As we've seen for this year, he's got four films, at least slated for release and one of them i'm very very excited about is willie's wonderland released on the 12th of february 2021 not even a month away so cancel your dinner plans whatever they were going to be inside anyway tell your loved one we're, we're, we're not having a romantic time this Valentine's Day. We are watching Nick Cage beat the shit out of some demonic animatronics. That's what you want for Valentine's Day, right, guys? As for the future of this podcast and where it's going once I'm done with Nick Cage, if you follow me on social media, as you all can, if you're listening, if this is your first time, it's at Caged in Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You would have seen some teases, some kind of some utterings of some stuff going on. And yes, yes, if, if you don't know, uh, Caged in will be kind of morphing into a a new era a coppola connections where i'll be looking at the extended and wider coppola family the brood in which nick cage has come from to kind of understand him that little bit more by understanding his family as for next week on the podcast i'm going to be talking to logan kenny about the 2019 or 20 depending on uh, where you live and when it came out uh, film Grand Isle before then though this Friday there is another bonus another caged in conversation with Marianne Zumberg talking about her top five and bottom five Nick Cage films because in 2020 as if things weren't bad enough she decided to watch every single Nicolas Cage film. I say this week in, week out, but please, if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Five stars would be fantastic. And tell me, what is your favorite Nicolas Cage film and why? Like, you don't have to go, oh, Petrus is amazing. I, I, I love Petrus. It's not about me. This is about Nicolas Cage. Or tell me, what is the film you are most looking forward to me covering in the Coppola Connections? Any of the extended Coppola family films, 
which is your favourite and who is your favourite? Are you a, are you more of a Jason Schwartzman fan? Are you more of a Talia Shire fan? Are you are you more out there? Are you more of a, a pirate Christopher Coppola fan? If, if that's your bag, then let me know. As I mentioned in the intro as well, you can always support the podcast on Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash cagedinpod, or you can head on over to cagedinpodcast.limitedrun.com to grab yourself either a caged in print, one of the Superman prints, or the brand spanking new Wicker Man caged in t-shirt speaking of the wicker man if you'd like to hear me talk about that film spider-man into the spider-verse and mandy tune into tomorrow's sudden double deep i had the absolute pleasure of joining those guys to talk about those three films in a kind of man-ish triple bill their whole premise of their podcast is they pick three films linked by a word and talk about them uh they bent the rules in my case and we got to talk about three films linked by the word man uh it just happened to be that mandy slightly warped the rule but that film is all about warping perceptions anyway so we will have it and obviously if you're listening to this at a later date head on over to sudden double deep uh Maybe type in Sudden Double Deep, Petrus Pat Syllabus, or Sudden Double Deep, Caged In, and it will definitely come up. You'll be able to find that episode. Uh, Daryl, Matt, and Jeanette are absolutely fantastic. I love those guys. I can assure you that all three of them will be back on this podcast at some point. So if you have not had, yeah, if, you've had, if you're not sick and tired, of hearing my voice uh tune in to sudden double deep tomorrow or right now if you're listening in the future so as always guys i have been petrus patsyllabus i've been caged in you've been amazing until next week bye Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, a Town Limerie, Maine, franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.